Hello and welcome. This may be a place you've been many times, or this may be your first time. And either way, this is a brand new moment. So connect to your presence, open your heart, and get curious as I share real life experiences, practices, and organic medicine that will help you expand into your higher self. Because if we're not growing towards the light, we're dying in the darkness. And I'm here to tell you, you were born to live. Together, we will plant seeds, pull weeds, lean into shadows, and tend to our soil, giving us the nourishment that we need to root down and find the power within to be our most authentic self so that we may receive all the abundance that awaits us. Are you ready? Okay, here we grow. Yay. Hi. Hello. I have an awesome guest today, my friend, coach, mentor, Courtney Peacock. So excited to have you. Yeah, I'm so stoked to be here. Thank you. Welcome. We've been talking about this for a little while and we've been working together for a while. So it's been really great to just grow a relationship, business and friendship and the inner work connection and feels really just really timely to have you here, especially as some massive season change is happening and planetary change is happening. So we will cover it all. Yeah, looking forward to it. Yay. So we'll take a few minutes. I love that you do this at the beginning of your tarot practice when we work together before we dive into t- to the whole connection of the the meeting and when we gather uh, to just ground our energy and I like to do that when I start my podcast too and I always ask my listeners to come into the space and just take a few minutes to look around and notice where you're at and come back into the body you know we spend so much of our time focused outwardly so with a few breaths here in through the nose and out through the mouth, just releasing the day so far. And feel yourself come into the body, into the space, and notice where you connect immediately. And if it feels comfortable and you have the option to close your eyes, to turn inward and see where your attention naturally goes, following the breath back in through the nose and out through the mouth. Yeah, just releasing and one more just like that all the way in and all the way out. And notice how much you allow yourself to settle in with the breath, allowing whatever you've been holding on to up until this moment to subside, to release. Notice if that softens the shoulders and the face changes our attitude a little bit, connects us deeper to ourself, the earth and each other. Just a few minutes to notice. And as we're here in this grounded space, let's set an intention for what we're here to do, what we're here to grow through. And I always like to ask, What are you growing through right now? What helps you keep growing? What am I growing through right now? Oh, man. (laughs) 
I think we were talking about this recently, actually, but I think one of the biggest things that I'm growing through right now is learning to surrender mm-hmm. um, and not, you know, it's been a difficult topic at times because it, there's a really thin line between like bypassing and surrendering and you never want to be like living in denial about what's going on and not taking action toward the things that you desire but at the same time, releasing control over like micromanaging how it happens can be so powerful. So I've really been um, leaning into that practice of not becoming complacent or giving up because things feel out of control, but instead surrendering in a way that feels empowering to take action. I think that's like the, the biggest thing that I'm, I've been working on. That's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> my word for one. this year is surrender so oh, wow. I love that I love that yeah. so much and what do you notice when you come up against that thing you would normally micromanage do you cue yourself and have that awareness and then work through it what does that process look like yeah so I've actually been playing around with um a practice of acceptance as like the mm-hmm. first step to things so when I find myself um I think I've shared this with you, but the the biggest growth point for me recently was that I stopped running my business last year. And now I'm kind of back into um, like fully ramping up to get it going again. And so there's a lot of uncertainty and concerns and worries that come up and kind of like the tendency again to... Um, go to bed with a million ideas and be, have my mind racing and staying up later than I would like to because of this. And so really learning something that's been working for me immensely is in those moments, starting with acceptance of like acknowledging myself for where I'm at and just literally talking myself through that of like, I accept that your mind is racing right now and like validating, like you have a lot going on. It's okay for your mind to be racing. And then that has helped me course correct so much more quickly than when I try to like tell myself like stop ruminating stop overthinking stop doing this like I feel like that always just prolongs it and the practice of acceptance has actually been really powerful because it brings my nervous system into the present moment and I'm able to be like okay this is happening I'm acknowledging it and I'm going to choose a different way to be you know yeah That acceptance is powerful because practicing it for yourself seems like it would be such a ripple into the rest of your life as well. People, places, things. Totally. Well, I think too, it has a lot to do with my core wounds. Like I was um, raised in an environment where I wasn't ever validated. I wasn't ever sat with, like the presence was not really there with my primary caregiver. So acknowledging that sometimes when I have a visceral um, stress response, it's because I've never been taught to be present with myself. And so that actually just like is so powerful for like reparenting myself and doing inner child work and having the, I mean, it sounds silly, but like acting like an adult, like having that moment of like, it's okay to feel this way validate myself. And then I'm able to be like, also, I have control over changing it, you know? And I think that when you're not modeled that in childhood, I think that's where a lot of spiraling tendencies come from because you're not modeled the structure of like having 
uh, even just like a role model, it doesn't necessarily need to be a parent, but someone there to be like, hey, I'm with you. I'm validating you. It's okay to feel this way. We're going to figure this out together. And um, that's just been like a really, really cool and powerful practice for me lately. Wow. Validation fills us up. Yeah, totally. And if we could learn that to allow that to be the main thing that fills us up, then the rest feels like the icing. Right. Yeah. I, I love this idea of reparenting too. I feel like this is a pretty... I don't want to use the word buzzword, but it kind of feels mm-hmm. buzzword as we're working through childhood traumas. And right. if you're tapped into the inner work, that's a big one. Is that something that you work on daily? Is that a part of your practice? It's definitely pretty, these days it's pretty common because it's one of the things that I've found to be the most impactful into the way that I interact with my nervous system. So, um, I think something interesting that is kind of swirling around in the online space right now is this duality between um, everyone has trauma and the other side of like, don't call everything trauma. And, you know, I just think it's so nuanced that like our nervous systems, like you could have two people that had very different experiences and one might seem like big T trauma and one might seem like little T trauma, but the person maladapted in a very similar way. Right. So like, it's so nuanced that I think it's really, I mean, it's invalidating one to like say that, um, some people's trauma is more than other people's and whatever. So that's why I think even though in my experience, I did have a pretty extreme um, like upbringing where my nervous system was very damaged, like I'm recovering from CPTSD. Mm. But at the same time, what I've found is that these things that I've learned in order to rewire and heal my nervous system, most people can benefit from on some level. Um, because all it does is expand your awareness and expand your capacity for empathy and expand your ability to respond instead of react and to kind of like take your control back as a human being. Because so much of what we do every day is just like reacting to the stress in our environment. And so I just have found that having it be a daily practice to come back to your question is, um, just such a huge part of me being able to navigate things with mindfulness, because when you're able to realize that like triggers will probably always happen. Like that's something my therapist says to me repeatedly is like, you may never not be triggered by these things, but the work is being able to stop and pause and choose how to respond. Right. It's not it's not that things in our environment, like our nervous system is so complex. Like we can't really ever like fully heal it or be so enlightened. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I I feel like it's unlikely that you could be like so enlightened that like you're just constantly completely present and responding and never having some kind of visceral reaction to things. But the work is really in being able to pause in the moment. And for me, that often is what is my inner child reacting to right now? Like, what do they need? And nine times out of 10, it's literally just presence and validation. It's me being like, I'm here with you. We'll figure this out and how you're feeling is valid. And it takes like a minute, you know? And that's why I think it's so 
beautiful because it's empowered me to, like I said, like just have more control over the way that I interact with the world, you know? Yeah. It gives me chills. <laughs> it feels so special. We all want to be seen, felt, heard, loved. And if we can right. give that again to ourselves in one moment. Right. So it's that key point of awareness and that few minutes of I'm here and you're okay. Right. And we're going right. to get through this. Right. And, you know, the monks in the middle of Tibet might find that enlightenment, but we, I think that's incredible advice from your therapist to say, let's accept that right. this will be a part right. of your life. Right. And therefore you're not trying to overcome it every single moment and shaming yourself when you are triggered, when we live in a society of, you know, billions of people tons going on. Now we have social media where we're connected to each other. There's just so much. How could you really not be triggered? I think you would be fooling yourself to say, I'm never right. triggered. So right. well, and it, it allows you to, um, sorry, you you're good. Nope, you're it allows good. you to, um, remove the shame. Like you said, like, instead of why does this still trigger me? You're at, you're noticing like, oh, wow, this was handled better than it was last time. You know? And that repairs, that's the repair right. moment. Right. And then you go, oh yeah, I can get myself through this. Right. Wow, that's huge. Do you notice that repair and that strength? Are you getting stronger at the reaction time and the, the healing moment? Totally. And I think something that's even more powerful is navigating. Um, this feels vulnerable to share for some reason. Um, I'm in a new relationship with someone who's, um, extremely patient and good at communicating and very great at boundaries and just like I've never had this experience before and what's super interesting is that I still get triggered so it's like in therapy it's it's noticing how it's not even necessarily the environment like the environment can be really healthy and you can still have your old stuff come up Wow. And what's been really powerful for me is not using I'm triggered right now as a justification for any behavior. Like I don't, I, I've watched people do that and I think it's unfair to say, well, I'm triggered. So that's why I said that, or I'm triggered. So, you know, this conversation <laughs> needs to whatever. Um, obviously you can take space and like soothe yourself, but I think being able to communicate that you're feeling triggered buzzword. I wish there was another word for that, but that you're feeling, you're feeling dysregulated, yeah. um, is such a powerful tool relationally to communicate like, Hey, I'm not being myself in this moment. Like, can we step back so that I can come back to myself and then be able to approach the situation as adult present Courtney and not six-year-old Courtney that's terrified you know? Yeah. And I remember the first conversation that my partner and had about that. He was like, really, he got triggered because he was like, assuming that I was saying I was triggered in order to just not take any responsibility. Mm -hmm. And then we had to talk through, I was like, no, no, no. Like I'm telling you this so that I can take responsibility, like so that I can own moving through this so that next time it's less and next time it's less and next time it's less. And I think that, um, you know, you can do all this work on your own. I don't think you need a partner to do 
work like this, but I do think that it's such a powerful mirror of like, when you start to do this work in relationship, you see the progress like right in front of your face. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just been like incredibly healing for me to be able to see from, you know, two years ago in a relationship to now, just like it's blowing my mind, honestly, like the awareness, um, is really, really powerful. Wow. I love that wording. Hold on. Let me take a step back and find my adult self. Right. It's going to take a second. I do want to take responsibility for my own triggering. I think that's right. super powerful. And I agree that having that, it's that mirror. We can do all this inner work by ourselves, but then when we are in relation with anyone, whether anyone. it's the person yeah. at the grocery store or our family who we know the best, like the right. you know the most long-term relationship or a new partner, right. it brings up new stuff. It's new layers. So totally. it's really totally. powerful for you to be able to reflect and see, okay, two years ago with this other relationship, this is where I was. And I think that's a true testament to how far you've come and, and how much you've leaned into the work. Right. It's really really awesome. I would love to talk a little bit about that. What got you into this work? You know, how, however much of your life story you want to tell, yeah. you know, how much time we have, but um, just yeah, if you don't mind me um, going on a tangent here. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you feel. I just think to give a background of, cause yeah. you know, a lot of people are new leaning into the work and it's like, okay, at what point do I do certain pieces and what is, what is inner work? Why is everybody talking about it? Why is it important? And, and right. you and I have share that deep connection. And so I'd love to just hear more about that from you. Yeah. So, um, I've kind of alluded to this, but I grew up in a pretty uh, abusive household, um, and had no idea because that was my norm. Um, you know, it's really interesting to unpack experiences like that where you don't have a before and after you don't have any relativity that's all you know and so I had really strong intuition from a very young age that there was something very wrong um and so I was constantly lighting like I would just like try to not be at home as much as possible um I started drinking really young to numb out and escape um I like you know, I just wanted nothing to do with that part of my family for intuitive, instinctual reasons. And it's complex and obviously took me years to figure out um, how to navigate that. But in my 20s, I was really, really uh, living that split life of like, you know, work hard during the week and party really hard on the weekends. And um you know, it's kind of incredible actually thinking back, like how functional I was actually able to be with how much I was uh, deep into substance abuse. Mm. And it was so normal. Like I had just surrounded myself with people who were the exact same way, but somehow could sustain it. Like a lot of them are still partying. And it's just like so fascinating to me because a part of me is so grateful that I couldn't handle my shit in that way. You know, <laughs> like... Part of me is like, wow, I'm so glad that things fell apart because otherwise I would still be doing that. And um, I mean, no shade, whatever people want to do. But yeah. for me personally, I was fucking miserable. Like I just was like, had no sense of self. Um, I was extremely low self-esteem. I was very anxious, like chronically anxious. Um, I've been diagnosed 
on and off for various uh, mental health disorders and on different medications. And I just felt like I was not in control of my life. Like I was very much so in Groundhog Day. And it really came to a head when I lost a really good job. I got laid off from um, a job working for the government um, as a liaison between translators and language exam writers. And then I was helping write these language exams. Like I was a French major in college. So it was kind of like a dream come true. And I was really naive. I was like 24, 25. Um, I got that job without a master's degree somehow and it was required. <laughs> And they were like one of three companies in uh, North America that does this work. And I thought that it was just like, because I was so young, I was like, oh, I'll just find another job doing this, you know? And after two years of just taking whatever jobs I could and looking for work in that, um, in that uh, world, I realized like, oh, wow, I do need to either go back to school and get a master's degree to do this or do something else. And never been like the biggest fan of I love learning on my own but going into debt for education just didn't want to do it and um so I landed in the service industry which was like probably the worst place for my particular mental health ever um <laughs> and so it, it happened very quickly um where I wasn't able to manage the only party on the weekends never drink alone, never uh, drink during the day. Like it just all got so enmeshed. And it wasn't until the very end that I started drinking alone and noticing like, oh, wow, this is something um, that I really thought I would never do. Uh, and same thing with driving. There were like two instances where I drove drunk and I was like, okay, this is because I was like my hard thing always was like, I don't drive. I don't drink alone. Mm -hmm. and. Um, it's fascinating like what we'll justify things with right. but I had like a a bender a session essentially um over I think it was south by southwest or one of the festivals in Austin where it was just like a three-day like marathon of partying and there were instances where I would go to sleep not caring if I would wake up like I would be really scared that I wasn't going to wake up and I'd be like I don't care and it's, that wasn't like active um, suicide ideation, but it was in a way, you know, it was like, I had just not, I had no uh, sense of value for my life or who I was or where I was going. And um, it was after that festival that I called a friend and was like, I don't know what to do, but I can't do this anymore. And at the time, there wasn't really anything but AA, mm -hmm. um, and I, she went with me to an AA meeting, and for me, AA didn't work out for various reasons. Um, I know that it helps a lot of people, but it just didn't really resonate with me, and around that time, I found Holly Whitaker um, from Hip Sobriety was her blog at the time. I think she's part of The Tempest now, um, and she, like, saved my life, to be honest, because she was the only person talking about getting sober without AA that I could find. And I just ate up her blog, like everything she did. Um, and I started blogging and got some traction on it and it felt really vulnerable, but it was also really healing to be like sharing my whole experience. And I don't know, I think I just kind of landed on personal development through sobriety. Cause it was like, 
this catalyst of like, oh, holy shit. 75% of my anxiety was because I was throwing gasoline on a fire by drinking. You know, I thought that it was helping my anxiety to drink, but it was just perpetuating intense dread and existential shit, you know? Um, and so I think that was really the catalyst. I read a Brene Brown book called Gifts of, in, your Gifts of Imperfection. Um, I remember crying in the bathtub reading that book and like, I uh, just got interested in like, oh, wow, I can, I can kind of um, take back control of my life. And I became a personal trainer because mm -hmm. I was um, really needing to get out of the service industry. I actually did stay sober in the service industry for a while, which was pretty amazing that I was able to do that. But um, it got to the point where I was like, this is just, you know, it's not healthy for me to be in this environment. And I was training friends for half marathons at the time. And I had one of my friends be like, you're really good at this. You should like become a coach. And I was like, what? you know, and so I became a personal trainer first and then just became so aware that people needed help with more than nutrition and fitness, um, or they were interested in more than nutrition and fitness really is what I should say. And, um, it just kind of evolved. And I think that actually having the lived experience of being completely dysregulated. Um, so my life was so chaotic. Like I was in a, a, just a groundhog day of like blowing up my life and then trying to recover from it. Um, having various people bail me out or do all these different things and then just enable me essentially. And then I would do it again. And I'm still battling some of those things because I had a, I relapsed last year and it was felt very similar. It had been like five years and, you know, always growing. Um, but here we grow. But uh, to have such a stark difference in my daily lived experience of waking up with severe anxiety, heart racing, fear, dread. Um, taking medication to get relief or day drinking to get relief or just all the distractions, chain smoking cigarettes, like mm. taking any drugs that were offered to me. Like I just had no discernment, you know? Um, and then now to actually being aware of my internal experience and being in touch with that and, um, feeling calm most of the time. Like, of course I'm human and anxiety is normal. That's part of the experience, but being able to um, just navigate life with so much more intention and knowing that even if things aren't picture perfect, I'm choosing it, you know? So that's the long explanation of like how I got into this and I'm so passionate about it because I don't think that everyone needs to walk this path. I don't think that it's required to have a nice life, <laughs> fulfilling life. But if you live with dread or depression or anxiety, there is a path forward. And that's why I'm just so passionate about it. Wow. Thank you. First of all, just the vulnerability is so powerful. And that to me is the biggest part of the inner work is finding that courage to share. 
and know how much that that connects us together. And there's so many people that this will be so relatable for because as wild and intense as that is, I believe that that's going on a lot. Like I relate to so many parts of that story. And when you're in it and you're in that spiral, it's what everybody else seems to be doing. So it's, it is definitely harder to step out and then find what is next. What are these steps that are going to help me? I just want to feel better. And I want to point that out at the beginning of your story, when you were in this abusive situation with your caregivers, you intuitively knew and intuition is something that I think that we talk about a lot. Like we're trying to find it or whatever, but it's always there. It's that feeling, right? Whatever you call it, it's that feeling. So I just want to reflect back to you how powerful that is from a young age and knowing that and being like, I just don't feel right here. And now what do I, you know, I got to get out of here. I got to flee in that moment, which fight or flight is really life. And now, you know, the co-regulation side and the balance, like we don't know what the fire feels like until we're in it and then we get out of it. Yeah, it's super powerful. And sobriety is, it's a big one. It's a big one. And I am grateful that it's a part of more mainstream talk and that there are more options. I believe that the AA has had its place and it's been amazing. And it also has a very square patriarchal feel, right? It's its its own entity. So the fact that we can talk about it, that we can go on Instagram and find lots of pages, lots of resources and anxiety is eating our world up. Yeah. Everybody you talk to, and I love that you said that anxiety is a part of the experience, but we can't numb it. We can't run from it, like facing it, but facing it with clarity. Right. You know, if somebody is in that fire right now and seeking and is new to a lot of this, what would be something that you would guide them? What would be a step that they could take on a, on a micro level, maybe? I think the most powerful realization I had because I was in our health our mental health care system for so long, being told that anxiety was part of my chemical makeup. And like, you know, my mom has a lot of mental health issues. And so I was actually very rebellious against that. I was like, I don't buy it. Like, I don't know why I felt that way, but from a young age, I was like, I don't buy it. Like, I don't think this is just how I am. Like, I've just always been that way where I'm like, you know, nothing is just how it is. Like we can figure this out. Um, and it wasn't until I think like two years into sobriety, I landed on, I can't even remember the source, but I landed on some literature that was talking about how anxiety is just a signal it's just your body trying to tell you something. And when we ignore it and try to run from it and numb it and again, don't accept it or validate it, then you're just throwing gasoline on the fire. And when you get curious about it, then that's where your power lies. And so what I started to do like kind of relentlessly (laughs) was anytime I felt anxious, I would stop and say like, okay, what's going on in my environment around me? I had like a checklist on my desk where it was like, have I had enough water? Have I eaten today? Have I moved my body? 
what's going on in my environment. Like, can I dim the lights or open a window or declutter is a huge thing for me and my nervous system. I hate having clutter. Um, and was there like an impending email that I was waiting for that was causing me, like just trying to figure out what is causing it and then accepting that as like, okay, it makes sense that I'm anxious. Like I care about that email or I haven't eaten, I need to go eat. Or, you know, actually I'm gonna include this because I think it's fascinating. Hydration is one of the top causes for anxiety. <laughs> because your alarm bells go off when only 1% of your body water is lost. So like a very small amount and your body is like, we're gonna die. Like fucking get some water now, you know? So it's like, that can be an underlining visceral anxiety response. Like I've had clients before where all we did was make sure they were on a schedule for drinking water and getting up and moving three times a day because they were at their desk too much. And they were able to reduce anxiety by like 70%. I mean, that's not a true statistic, but like a very large amount. And I think that that's just so underlooked. So if you can start with your uh, health bases, if you, you know, can do that. Mm -hmm. And then also, if you, if you can't do that, another place to start is um, becoming the observer of your thoughts, like realizing that we are not our thoughts, like when you are ruminating, you're able to observe that and you can step back and have that conversation of like, wow, I see that you're ruminating. Like, that's really hard. Again, validate it. Um, for some people, visualization is really powerful. So I used to visualize my anxiety as a cloud and just watch it float through the room and remind myself like, okay, it's temporary. It's going to be gone soon. And that distracted me enough to like, bring me back to myself. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like it took a lot of fucking effort. You know, it took up a lot of my headspace to do this work, but now it's second nature and I don't think about it ever, you know? So uh, it just depends on what amount of work you're willing to do up front, I guess, but really powerful to just see it as an alarm. Like if you're cooking and you're fire alarm goes off because it's smoky, you're not going to just ignore it. You're not going to just like keep cooking. You're going to go investigate and turn it off and then get the smoke out and figure out what was going on. So that's how I like to think about it, you know. Take the steps. Yeah. Awareness just feels like the basis for so much. Yeah. And, I, and, and the willingness to lean in this whole idea of hydration is so powerful. Uh, I found this really old book. I'd be curious to know when it was actually written, but it's called, you're not sick, you're thirsty. And it's a doctor and he's cured so many people. And I too have had some health clients where we just switched up a couple of things, like big glass of water in the morning before your coffee and you know, just kind of hydration, but the body, that alarm system, it is always an alarm. It's always a signal. And thinking back to childhood and what you witnessed growing up and then the patterns that are instilled, of course, it's going to take some time. Those right. patterns are deep. So it's just that, that to me is the practice, right? Like I teach yoga and we do these lessons and practices in the studio, but the practice is in the real world when you're up against, and then the more you do it and the more habitually you start training yourself, come back to center, become aware. It's, right. it's really, really cool. 
it's so powerful too, to think about it. Um, I think it was my therapist who said something like this, but I'm a big fan of like zooming out whenever I start to feel like no progress is being made or I'm like being hard on myself. She's always like hundred miles in hundred miles out court. Like if you have maladapted for 30 years of your life and you know, I'm, I just turned 37 and I got sober right around 30. So it's like to have made this much progress in about like, you know, one fourth of the time that I've been spending in this really dysfunctional manner um, or way of functioning, like that's actually remarkable. Even the first three years of sobriety being able to do what I accomplished. So it's like when you're able to zoom out and give yourself that grace of like, wow, I've been functioning this way for most of my life. And now I have the rest of my life ahead of me like, what if it only takes a fourth of the time to really feel like grounded and like, it, it might be 10 years, but then you have the rest of your life, like with that, um, new experience. And I just think that that can be so powerful to kind of lay out for people of like the, it's an investment in yourself and in your future. And, you know, the, your well being has the highest ROI of anything, in my opinion, like it's, Time is all we have. And if you're not feeling good in your body most of the time, like that's, yeah, it, it's hard to wrap my head around, but <laughs> yeah. Health is our wealth. Yeah. You say something often that I love. That's like 1% better every day. Yeah. And if we can focus on that and praise ourselves and give that validation and see and love and, and hear what we've done. I think that that is so potent. Yeah. My mentor taught me that. And something that I think is missed when people, I think there's actually a book um, on this topic and I haven't read it. I just liked the concept of um, focusing on being slightly better every day. And something he would always say was, it doesn't mean that it's linear. Like it doesn't mean that you're always 1% better in the same area of your life or same way, like every day. It just means like in some way, all of the different areas of your life you've improved one percent so it could literally be like anything from habits or whatever or it could just be like I was lazy today and I didn't beat myself up about it yeah you know like there's just so many different um, ways that you can apply that and I think that that's why it can be so helpful is that it, it redirects your focus to how am I better today than I was yesterday you know yeah yeah and it might slip out and slip in and other right. categories slip out and slip in. And I think that you hit a really important point is just this ritual, this habit of life, you know, if we're waking up and getting right on our phone and then smashing coffee and then running to our desk and sitting all day and, and then expecting to feel good com coming down from the day with wine, it's like, hold on, you know, maybe that next day you just don't look at your phone straight away. You do the sky before screen, which I love. Right. Like we just integrate these, these habits. Yeah. If somebody is in a place of addiction and really just unsure, but see seeking, you know, obviously listening to this podcast and tuning in in certain regard, like, is there something that you would guide them on or what would be a, what would be a next best step just to make that commitment? I think the two things that come to mind are listen to your intuition. Um, if 
whether in active addiction or not, if you feel some yearning to live differently or experience more depth in your life, you're feeling that way for a reason. It's mm. very true and real. And listen to that, I think is the number one thing, like really listen to that. Mm. Um, and then the other thing is just kind of, it just popped into my head that has always stuck with me was when I first started thinking about sobriety, I had this narrative that there was something wrong with me, that I was going to miss out on sophistication and experiences that you only have with alcohol. And like, you know, I lived in France for a year and going back, even now, it kind of is strange to think about, like going back to France and not having any wine is like really bizarre. <laughs> I think I could do it, but it's just also like, huh, you know, um, and I remember the first vacation I took in Mexico where I didn't drink and I was like, whoa, this is actually really amazing. Like you don't need a margarita on the beach to experience Mexico at all of its glory. Like, so um, my friend said to me, look, Court, like anyone would benefit from cutting alcohol of their life. And she wasn't sober. She's still not sober, but she said that to me and I have never forgotten it because she was like, you are not missing out. Like if alcohol were just vanished right now off the planet, everyone would benefit. And I was like, yeah, that's a hundred percent true. Like there's no doubt in my mind that that is the truth. And I tend to have the, the view of like, you know, while that's true, I'm not going to make it my life's mission to um, tell people what they can and can't interact with. But if you have an intuitive feeling that there's something wrong with the way that you relate to substances, that's all you need. Like, it doesn't matter how your life is presenting. It doesn't matter if I had so many people be like, what are you talking about? You need to get sober. Mm. And I mean, I was staying out all night with strangers and not sleeping and taking random drugs. And like, it was a shit show. And I had people that were close with me being like, you don't have a problem. What are you talking about? And I mean, that's the power of projection, which I think we could talk about for hours. But <laughs> if you have any inkling that you don't want to interact with anything, like just listen to it, you know? Um, you don't need to have a problem on paper. And it's just follow your intuition, I think is like my main point. I love that. Cause that will just lead you into the next and into the next. It's truly our internal compass. Yeah. And I think too, actually, I kind of want to add this just for anyone listening who is in active addiction, something that really helped me was that, um, you know, my mom's an alcoholic and I remember in high school, like throw, trying to throw away her, or no middle school was younger. It was before I started drinking um throwing away her wine and like dumping it down the drain and whatever um <laughs> and I remember for some reason I don't know if I wrote it in my journal so it stuck or what but I remember very clearly saying if it ever starts to erode my relationships I'm going to give it up and this was because I had watched her destroy relationships and allow that and 
um, use it as fuel almost of like, well, these people don't understand me. I don't need them in my life. Um, if they ever questioned her about alcohol. And I must've been really young when I made that promise to myself, like 11 or 12. Um, but that was what did it was when I did have friends, um, be like, look, like we don't want to micromanage you or give you any ultimatums, but we just don't want to be around you if you're drinking. Um, and I had another friend ask, like, you're just so miserable. Like it breaks my heart. Like, why would you keep doing this if you're so unhappy? And it's because I had no control over my physical and psychological addiction. And I think when people are able to humanize themselves in that moment, because there is so much shame around addiction, um, it's literally just a coping mechanism for trauma and stress that happens to be addictive. And so it's like, our society has so much stigma around it, um, having something to do with your character. And I just disagree with that so wholeheartedly. Um, you know, it's almost like the, the idea that like, oh, it's truth serum. Like you say what you mean when you're drunk. Like if you met me drunk, you would be like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> like I have had people be like, you just go from zero to a hundred and like, totally change mannerisms, tone, I mean, everything. And it's like, that's not who I really am. It's not. And so to, um, to try to focus on removing that shame for yourself so that you can actually get to the root of the problem, because the problem with shame is that it compounds and it makes us act in ways that are super out of character. They're out of alignment. It's an out of alignment with what we actually want. And when we're able to remove shame, we can actually look at things objectively and make choices that are in alignment with who we are instead of the spiral of I'm disappointing people and I'm not worthy and I don't have any value. I mean, that is like, that is why people stay addicted in the face of um, people questioning or trying to support them or get them out of it. It's not because they're bad people or they have some character flaw. Um, it's driven by shame. And I think the more that obviously people who are re related, relating to people with addiction, if they can try to relate to them with that mindset of like, okay, they're really ashamed. How can I like help them feel seen and heard? That is helpful, but also for the person struggling trying to validate like that there's nothing to be ashamed of um you know I think that was like a big sorry I'm kind of going on a tangent right now um this is a big reason why AA didn't jive with me was because I was like I don't want to be coming to meetings in 30 years ashamed of what I did 30 years ago, like, and that's what the vibe was to me. Obviously there's different meetings and I'm sure there's so much variety. Um, this is anecdotal, but for me, my main thing was like, I want to live a life where alcohol is not a part of it, but I'm not obsessing over it. You know, like I'm not replacing my addiction with my addiction to alcohol is bad and get it away from me. And this is everyone's different. I think, um, obviously there's certain cases where that needs to be the path. Um, but I just removed the shame. I was like, what happened to me? 
Like, mm-hmm. why did this happen? Instead of being like, you were born this way or you were predisposed, like obviously genes do play a role. There's a lot of alcoholism in my family. I'm definitely more susceptible to alcohol affecting me in a way where I would get addicted. But it happened because I was traumatized. It happened because I needed to escape the pain. And that was the only relief that I could find. And I taught my brain and my nervous system and my, my everything that that was the adaptation that needed to happen to survive. And so once I figured that out, I was like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me. This is what happened to me and I can change it. So anyway, that was a very long tangent. Um, but I think removing shame is like so, so monumental with addiction. Yeah. Perfect tangent. I think that's <laughs> such helpful and clear advice in the sense where if we recognize shame being the lowest vibrational, one of the lowest vibrational energies, again, all the way back to awareness. Okay. I'm in this shame and just starting to work through that, then listening to the intuition, figuring out how you actually want to feel. And you hit on a couple really incredible points, especially that we've been fed this knowledge that, you know, alcohol is the fun inhibitor and it's fancy and, you know, you can't travel and have a good time without it. And, oh, it'll numb your pain or it'll bring out your, the true you. I was very similar to you, like the blackout, the crossed eyes, I'd hit the wall and just done. And just the, the stuff that comes from that. So I think that rewiring that for ourselves is creating a ripple effect in the world and sharing and having conversations like this and letting people know that there are, there are many options and avenues and there's nothing wrong with you. It's just a matter of an awakening and an awareness and getting back to this health as well, you know, in seeds, taking it a moment at a time and remove the shame. I like that a lot. And removing the expectation that it has to look the same for everyone. Like I remember being really afraid at first because it was like this never drink again thing. And that, again, this works for some people. But for me, it's actually been more effective to say today, like, and that is something from AA that actually is really helpful is like, today I'm making this choice. Today I'm making this choice. Today I'm making this choice. (laughs) Because our brains actually can't um, comprehend infinity. So Mm -hmm. like, we can say infinity all we want, but it's very, very hard for that concept to actually be grasped in a visceral way. So when we hold on to language around never or always or infinity or you know for the rest of my life or that all these things it actually is very confusing to our nervous system and so it's um it's really fascinating because that's helped me a lot to know like you know I still experiment with psychedelics and a lot of people who are sober would be like you're not sober and it what it means to me is all that matters like I know myself best I have practice radical honesty with myself to know that there are certain things that are completely off limits and other things that are enhancing my experience as a human being and letting go of what other people think has been huge because really I think it's so important to to use sobriety as a tool to know yourself better because you're present and you're aware to everything. And I'm sure you had this experience too, but I remember 
feeling things was like terrifying. I was just overwhelmed at first, like, whoa, this is all the stuff that I just wasn't allowing myself to feel. And I mean, one of my first memories of sobriety was just laying on my bed, staring at the ceiling, like, who am I? What do I do? <laughs> and um, it's, it's so wild now that like, I experience a breadth of emotions and I wouldn't have it any other way. And sometimes it's heartbreaking and painful and so hard, but it makes everything else like just have such a better perspective, you know? Mm -hmm. Reminds me of that saying that if you're not feeling one end of the emotion, you're not feeling another or like right. the deeper the roots, the higher the tree reaches and, and right. it's that. But then if we're stuck in the center, like, I don't want to feel the the yuck. So I'm really not benefiting from the really yum, yeah. I guess would be the opposite of that. Right. I tiptoe around even the word sobriety. And I started mm. looking into it. It's like, it actually means somber, like this mm. very somber, empty kind of blah mm. state. I'm like, am I, I'm, not, I'm actually not sober. You yeah. know? That's so I'm interesting. Far, far from the true meaning yeah. of this. So I've been conscious in that and mm. saying like, maybe you do have to get sober, like an awakening of somber and coming to that but then once you get through that and you're starting to see life from a different perspective it's brighter it's there's more feeling um it's it's truly the part of the awakening so I I tend to say like booze free me you know yeah. like just yeah. that, that I remove the toxin part of what to right. me is connected to that but I'm similar to you where I'm like oh I can experiment with that and feel that or do a medicine journey in the jungle of Mexico right. and like not feel like I'm breaking any rules. And, and I think that's a really important part. And thank you for saying that, that every body is different. No diet is the same. No life is the same. No sobriety is the same. Right. So just getting to, to choose. So. Right. And I think radical self-honesty is really hard. Like, I don't want to say that, but like it takes radical self-honesty to be able to know what you can and can't interact with, but it is not easy at all. It's a very difficult practice, but it's worth it because you start to notice like, you know, oh, I did that and that wasn't what was best for me. And you're able to course correct it without shame. Again, you know, it's like, hmm. I don't know, it's so fascinating, but anyway. Yeah. And on that, it's a perfect lead into the work that, that you do. And hmm. I believe that radical self-honesty and all of these practices are best when we share, when we create a group that's safe, you know, you do group coaching, you share a lot on your Instagram space and, and open that up and, and help people feel safe. And so let's lean into that and how your work flows and what got you here. And yeah. What, yeah. What so what it's, you now? <laughs> it's so interesting actually to think back on this, um, I was a really spiritual child. Like I remember I didn't spend much time with my dad, unfortunately, um, because of legal stuff. Um, but he really nurtured my authentic self when I was with him. And it was, I think, probably the foundation of me having any semblance of identity because um, I was robbed that mm. in my other caregiver's space. But um mm. I started shying away from spirituality in my twenties because I was dating someone who's an atheist and we're great friends. Like, mm. he knows how I feel about this now, but I really was like, 
um, not allowing that to come through. I was uh, hiding it from the world. And so when we broke up a couple years ago, I just went like full force back into it. I was like, whoa, like I forgot about this part of myself. And it like felt so exciting to be exploring it all again. And so that's the direction my coaching has gone into because um, I started using it as a tool with my clients just to kind of like test the waters with astrology and tarot. And it's been so impactful. Um, I do a lot of values alignment work with my clients and it's really similar. Um, it takes the guesswork out of your process. So it gives you a framework that's extremely subjective. And that's what I love about it is that it's not giving a blueprint. It's not like, okay, do X, Y, Z, this will change your life. If it doesn't work for you, then you did it wrong. Like that's like not at all how I, <laughs> how I coach. It's super different for everyone, but it just gives you kind of like a, a tangible framework to follow and to explore. And so right now, actually on um, the program that, that you were just in, I'm refining it to be um, a, an ongoing enrollment group coaching program um, with a really dope course that you get lifetime access to. So everything that we learned will be in a, in a course on a platform. Um, and then you'll have participants will have, um, three months of coaching with it when they sign up and then they get to keep the course. So I'm really, really excited about that. Um, and then, yeah, I do astrology and tarot readings and work with clients one-on-one -on -one, and that's, what's going on in my business right now I'd love to do a tarot reading before we get off actually let's not forget that yeah I feel that too and I just want to touch on that that values piece was massive yeah and really difficult like yeah. I just saw the blank page like what are my values right well it's so fascinating because people assume <laughs> at least in my experience what I've I've observed I guess is typically people are like oh my values are my values are integrity. My values are compassion. And it's like, yes, that can be true, but you shouldn't just assume your values because those are what like society believes our values should be. Um, and most people don't actually think about it. And when you're able to sit down and think about it, it just removes all of this, the the doubt in your decisions, you know, it's like, it's so fascinating and I'm not perfect. I still struggle with this constantly of like, oh, I really want to go get fast food right now. Like, cause I'm tired and this or that. And it's like, Oh, health is a value. So like, I'm going to most of the time, like sometimes that's fine. Like we're human, do whatever, eat the ice cream, have the experience. But like, if you can, if you can get so clear on your values that you have them like really at your disposal throughout the day, you just end up unfolding this really beautiful life for yourself that's completely in alignment and it's so underrated like so underrated oh if this was a course even starting in elementary and right oh totally and and that was one of the things thinking about that that you said it will evolve and that's yeah. beautiful and the other piece of advice that you gave me that stuck with me was if it's natural to you maybe let's pick something that will help you come back to center right. instead like when you you're veering off and like you're saying right. you're going towards the fast food because it's easy and right there right. and then that might like spiral you right like a one off thing is what right. is working. but if you know that's something that will really take you off course like oh right. my value is top on the list is health right. and is this worth that 
to not feel in alignment because I think I feel that way with alcohol. It's like, okay, I have one, I'm not a one drink kind of gal. So it's more, and then it's the next day. So that keeps coming back to center is having that health piece. Um, and one of the values that you really inspired me with was humanness. Mm-hmm. That yeah. word, I just love. So do you, do, I would love to just talk about that word for a second. Cause I think it would be cool to bring to light to people. Yeah. I think that, you know, that word resonates with me so much being in the coaching space because I've really shied away. I think we've talked about this quite a bit, but I've really like gone through you know, when I first started my business back in 2018, I was all over all the big coaches, all the, like following them on Instagram, buying all their courses, downloading all their freebies. Like I got really indoctrinated into kind of that, um, like bro marketing coaching world. And, um, I even hired a coach who was great at what she did, but everything she taught me was, um, very manipulative marketing, which works you know, that's like what most of our capitalist society uses in order to get people to buy things. Um, and I think a few years ago, I went through um, an equity and coaching, coaching course and just got more curious about the language being used because of my own experience. Like I was reviewing my financials for the year and I was like, damn, like it's good to invest in yourself. I think it's very important. But I was just throwing money at people without even like thinking it through, you know. And I reviewed my own experience with that and was like, it was so reactive. Like I was desperate for my business to do well. They said the right things, threw money at them. Yes, I learned stuff, but did it blow up my business the way they were promising? Like, no, not at all. And that could be my own responsibility. Like I take responsibility for that to a degree, but I think it would be healthier if I hadn't been making reactive decisions to buy. And so I really, really, really try in my marketing to give people the space um, to think things through and to not make reactive decisions. And I'm not going to, you know, make you give me your credit card on a sales call because whatever. Um, And so that I think is where the humanness word came to play because I was redoing, I reevaluate my values a couple times a year. And for my business, especially, I, I really think it's important um, to honor people's humanness. And what that means is if someone needs to reschedule because their kid is sick, or if uh, someone is having a tough month and they need an extra week to pay me, or whatever those little nuanced things are about the human experience. And it's interesting because, you know, we're taught to like, you know, time is so valuable. Nobody should ever reschedule or like you should charge them. And sure, if it's a pattern, like if someone's canceling on me every week, then yes, like I have something in my contract that's like, if this is a pattern, then I have the right to, you know, charge a fee or whatever. But um, I just think that in so many different um, areas of life, we can all benefit from that being a value of like seeing other people for being human. And it's actually really helped me decide who I associate with. Like if I don't get the vibe from people that they are able to honor people's humanness and have capacity, then I don't really Mm -hmm. make an effort to associate with them, you know? And 
Um, it comes about down to empathy and compassion and patience and openness and curiosity. And I think it's like all encompassed into that word, you know, and that's why it really resonates for me as a reminder. Mm -hmm. That's huge. And I love how you flipped it on, on itself too. Like if that person isn't having Mm -hmm. those characteristics, not all in all, but for the most part, and you feel that energy, it's like, well, that's my value. And I want to have that mirrored back to me. And for me, that humanness allows me to be not as judgmental as I'm patterned to be and also assume, like I ask questions. I try, this is a big thing I'm working on asking questions instead of assuming and then getting more information before I make that decision, which is a step process. And it's not every time, but that humanness just keeps me coming back. So it's definitely one of my values for as long as I can see just yeah. Totally. And something too, I mean, I mean, I kind of mentioned this, I guess, but my therapist taught me this. I think it's from her old practice called Evolve Coaching. I want to credit the right people that came up with this concept, but um, she taught me that you can't have a genuine connection with someone else unless you're open, curious, and compassionate, all three at the same time. And I have it right here. I have it written down somewhere, like what each thing means. I don't think I have it in this room, but um, the definition of, you know, openness and curiosity and compassion. And it made me realize how rare that is. Like it blew my mind, to be honest, because I was like, wow, that's so rare that you can slow down and you know, openness is like no agenda, no expectations, um, being open to hearing their experience for what it is. Compassion is being able to hold space for them, have empathy for them, see where they're coming from, um, suffer together was in their definition. And then curiosity is um, asking questions without judgment or control, which is like, so much of the time we're curious in order to try to like make sense of or control a situation like that's just human nature in our society and so coming back to like navigating this new relationship I've had moments with him where I've had to be like hold on I'm not being curious right now or Mm -hmm. I'm not being open right now and that's been like kind of a map for for me myself to know if I'm triggered or not and it's been like so eye-opening and so that was part of choosing humanness as a value was like, how can I encompass that open, curious and compassionate piece into one value and remind myself of like, I mean, even when you're talking to a friend and you start to think of all the solutions and like what you're going to say next, it's like, wait, hold on, open, curious, compassionate, you know, Mm -hmm. just like coming back to that has been so pivotal for me to be able to hold space for people and actually cultivate deeper connections in my life. I'm just imagining all the ways that will apply. (laughs) And if applied, how different we would interact with our whole world. Everyone. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, really it's, which feels like fluffy and woo woo, like, ah, peace. (laughs) Let's get real. Like compassion, curiosity in this, in this setting constantly to come back to like the OCD, like, (laughs) what are you doing today? (laughs) 
Well, and we're so, again, we're human. So you can't always do that. Like there will be times where you're angry and you react and like, that's okay. That's part of the human experience. But if most of the time we could come back to those three things, I just think that oh, it like gives me chills, actually. It would yeah, just be such too. a different experience, you know? Yeah. Like, tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more about why you are so flared up about this right. or, you know, why you are upset. Cause I'm assuming or yeah. And, and I'm sorry for your experience. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. And I think in the coaching world too, it's easy to feel attracted to those people that you think are going to fix and heal and change your life quickly, especially. And I like that about your programs that it's just like very easeful. You don't make any of these high level promises. And yet it's like, let's do this work together that we're in this together. And and that I very much feel that. And that was really good for me and my repair because I've Mm -hmm. had some experiences that were not that. And it's really, it's crushing when you have spent that high dollar and you've been told like investing in yourself is the only way to get there. And, and I do believe that. And the promise of having this massive life shift in this very short time is a disservice. So I think it's, um, should be talked about more. I'm really glad you brought this up because the truth is, and this doesn't sell, but anyone could figure this out on their own if they were determined to. It's all on the internet. It's all in books you can buy. It's all, it's probably all free on the internet, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the difference with working with a coach should be that it just collapses time. Like it helps you get there faster and it helps you have someone to validate you and support you and encourage you and reflect your light back to you. Like so much of my work has been illuminating to people through their own words. Like most of the time I'll have them tell me more about their experience. And then I'll say, look at what you just said about your experience. Like this is what is happening, not not the story, you know? And so it's, it's leading people to their own answers. And I think that so much of coaching these days, like does actually prey on vulnerable people who want change and which is like so many people. So it's, um, I believe it's very similar to a therapist relationship where it can be actually traumatizing to get wronged by a coach relationship. And it's a very huge responsibility. And yeah, I wish there were more checks and balances. Actually a plug right now is one of my tech friends is working on um, a platform for coaches to have kind of like a checks and balances situation. And I think if it, if it happens, it could be really powerful because there's a lot of wild west stuff going on in the coaching world. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're given this baton, like you're a healer now. Right. And I think that's (laughs) scary. Yeah. Scary. And that's ego and, and just can, it can get intense. Anytime that someone is telling you that they have all the answers and you should follow them and they're not walking this path with you and all of it, like discernment and doing their own work. Yeah. Use discernment. And I think that comes full circle to a lot of what you've said and alluded to, like having a therapist, right? Like how 
powerful and supportive. And I love that that's more mainstream. Everybody's just like, yeah, and me and my therapist yeah. and this, and yeah. let's just talk about it. It's not this mum's the word kind of thing. And I right. love what I love about group coaching and group settings specifically is not only the reflection of the coach, but the women in there. Yes, and, totally. and even when I've hosted women's circles or women's groups or women's coaching, like I am constantly learning. Yeah. And that feeling of we're in it together, like I'm not bigger or better or no more. I might just feel confident to hold the space. Yeah. And there we are. I always <laughs> say that coaching, yeah, I always say that coaching relationships should be symbiotic. Yeah. Like I yeah. learn so much from my clients mm. and it's not a one-way relationship at all. And I don't think coaching ever should be. And um. Yeah, I mean, this is what happens when there's no regulations. And there's a lot of like positives to not having regulations as far as equity is concerned. Like, you know, people who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford getting into this industry can. Um, but that's just one of the downsides to that is that there's going to be people. I remember actually when I first started unpacking all of this, I was ready to just pull out of coaching. I was like, I don't want to be a part of this. And one of my good friends who's a chiropractor was like, there's quacks in every single, yeah, uh, don't, what demographic, what is the word I'm looking for? Every single industry, like there's going to be people that are not ethical, who are exploiting people who are, you know, doing things with different motives than you and any industry you get into, there will be people like that. So she was like, so it's your choice, but is that really a reason to leave an industry that you love so much? And that really turned it around for me where I was like, okay, it's very true. <laughs> Need you more than ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was like, they're going to give someone their money. Like, yeah. why not be you? You know, like, so that perspective I think was really helpful, but it is a hard thing to, to come to terms with for sure. And you have to wonder if as this industry grows, like it seems like it is that there would be something, you know, my insurance license doesn't cost that much to keep up my continuing right. education. Like every right. couple of years, I have to have a certain amount right. education, right? Like yeah. just keeping people and that might just scare away some of those that aren't yeah. in alignment and maybe not, but right. the light will outshine the dark. Yeah, Totally. <laughs> Cool. Well, I would love to get a taste of, I mean, I always get a taste of your tarot and your work when we're working yeah. together, but let the listeners feel yeah, how beautiful that is. We're going to do a, so do you feel like it's would be good to share just a little sample of, so if you're, if we're working with you, mm -hmm. you know, we get one-on-one -on -one and you pull tarot to set the tone and that's just going to give us a reading for the session and then you move into your coaching practice or how do, how do you explain that? Yeah, if you're working with me one-on-one, -on -one, that's typically the way it goes. Tarot is always optional, but I offer it to all my one-on-one -on -one clients um, to set the tone. And then working with me one-on-one -on -one is uh, pretty different from group coaching, although I'm trying to figure out a way to um, bring that into group coaching, which I think will work with this course format. But I really just use the Socratic method with my clients. So um, 
you know, we, we chat about what's on your mind. And then I ask you a lot of questions to help you come to your own answers and bring awareness. And then once that's exhausted, we go into tools and resources and practices and action taking items. Um, and so in this group program, my hope is that I'll be able to facilitate a similar experience, but in a group setting. Um, and instead of it being like a lecture, so the, the coursework will be kind of the information piece and then the group calls will be more live coaching and group coaching and community. Because as you said, that's like the, my favorite part about doing group programs is what happens between the participants. Wow. Yeah. And finding that voice in that space, maybe yeah. when you're somebody that doesn't speak up or are a little bit more nervous, like the more empowerment you give yourself to be vulnerable. I believe that that's where a lot of the healing takes place, which is why we are our own healers yeah. and finding that courage and that safe space to share. It's just, that's, that's the magic. Totally. Um, and why tarot do we want to, I know we could talk yeah. about for like five hours, but is there a simple. So tarot for me, um, helped me learn, relearn, reconnect, recalibrate myself to my intuition. Um, that's why I'm so adamant with reading tarot about it being about the seeker's intuition. Like I am not uncovering any information that you don't already have within you. Um, and that's why tarot as a daily or almost daily practice can be so powerful because you start to connect the dots of like viscerally how you feel when your intuition is activated. And um, yeah, let's do a reading. That will actually kind of just show show what I what it's about more than anything. Yeah, the cards do speak. They sure do. <laughs> so um, you're a listener today. Just take a deep breath. Get comfortable. And you want to listen to your own intuition during this reading. Your intuition will always feel logical, clear, calm, and kind. And it will be honest, speaking of self-honesty. You won't have to justify anything or force it to make sense. So whatever resonates, just take that and release the rest. You can set an intention or ask a question, or you can just open your heart to what the cards uncover. And if you're new to tarot, um, questions like, what do I need to know about a situation? Or what perspective shift would support me? Um, types of questions like that work really well. All right, let's go. Sitting up on this chair is not best for Carol. Hold on. <laughs> Let's drop the cards on the floor. Okay, so we got the new moon card and the five of cups so far. So the way that I'm going to read this today is new card, new moon card first. Um, this is just a timing card in this deck. So I use these moon cards as an affirmation a lot because 
oftentimes they fall out with the moon cycles. Um, it's not a new moon right now. So this is more of a new beginning. Um, so just brand new beginning. Things are kind of resetting or restarting for you. Um, and then for the present moment card, we got the five of cups. So cups are water energy. They represent the water signs in the zodiac. And they also represent emotions and relationships and the ability to flow. So the five actually indicates some conflict. Um, so there may be some conflict in an emotional, in the emotional world um, and learning how to just go with the flow and allow yourself to feel your emotions and get in touch with them will help resolve this conflict. Um, cups cards are always an invitation to take steps to master your emotional world and be more honest with yourself about what you need. Mm -hmm. So slow moving today. It's so interesting because I shuffle the same every time and it was come out at different speeds. All right, we got the queen of swords. So this is for the obstacle position. So this might be something that you need or that you know, it would benefit you to focus on um, in order to resolve something. So the queen of swords is all about self-sovereignty um, in the way of intellect and logic and pragmatism. She's a very clear communicator. Um, the sword, you know, like she just cuts through the bullshit. She's gonna like straight shoot. Um, but she's very confident in, in that skill that she has of communicating um, and it, helps her own her sovereignty by being so pragmatic and logical. So if you feel like you're kind of out of balance in that way, like coming back to logic, coming back to pragmatism um, could be really powerful for you right now. Ooh, we have the two of cups for the advice. So I'm gonna wait to see what the last part is to see what the two of cups is likely about since there is another cups out this could be a relationship of some sort versus um internal emotions but um the two of cups can represent soulmate connections business partnerships just really important impactful partnerships in your life and i like to see this card coming out especially in the advice column of like these relationships make us who we are if we're, if we're open to learning from them. And, um, you know, like we were talking about getting triggered earlier, a lot of the time when you have relationships that trigger you, yes, it can be uh, a relationship that is toxic and needs to be let go of. But most of the time, these relationships are opportunities for growth and learning and having them be a mirror for how we can show up differently in order to um, strengthen the relationship. And so while the Two of Cups does represent sometimes challenging relationships, they tend to be the ones that have the most potential for growth and healing. Um, all right, and then we got the Two of Pentacles. So the Two is definitely a theme here, which represents balance and harmony. Um, pentacles are earth energy in the Zodiac, so very grounded. Um, they represent material and spiritual abundance. Um, so it's subjective, obviously, whatever abundance means to you, but the two represents 
building that foundation, like laying that foundation right now to allow yourself to expand into abundance. And that takes harmony and balance and coming back to knowing what you need in order to feel grounded and secure so that you can build something on that security. And then we got the king of cups at the bottom of the deck, which is um, the king of emotions. He's all about mastering your internal world, mastering your emotional experience so that you can serve others. So self-sovereignty and then sovereignty, the queens are self-sovereignty, and then kings are about sovereignty in order to serve others. So the responsibility that you have to the collective, to your people, to the people you care about. Um, he's also indicative to me of using your emotions as alchemy so that you can ma manifest the life that you want because manifestation starts with belief and belief starts with feeling. All right. There you go made me tear up oh really oh <laughs> yeah, yeah there's a lot there it was very oh, very potent I love that I'm um, so glad it resonated you mentioned harmony a few times and my yes so harmony oh my god I didn't even that. think about that that's wild <laughs> yeah that's so cool <laughs> Ooh, yeah and that oh. pentacles is just yeah and the cups all the cups yeah feels really good. I love, I love you. I'm like, can you just read a tarot to me every morning to start my day? <laughs> Actually you do on Instagram. So um, we'll yeah, I need to get back into that. I haven't been reading as much online. I need to, to do that again. I love, or I would like to do that again. Yeah. It's really powerful when you're, you know, say pick, pick whichever one yeah. and you kind of follow through it. Those are always yeah. super powerful. So you can follow Courtney on Insta. What's your Insta? Yeah. Courtney Peacock underscore. Um, and then I don't know what's happening with TikTok, but for the time being, I'm the mystical minimalist on there. So you can follow me on either platform. That's a cool name. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for that. It was really beautiful. Yeah. Have thanks for having me on today. This was such a great conversation. Yeah, definitely. And I think that there's so much depth that we could have multiple yeah. sessions. Maybe we will and go into. Totally some of these deeper pieces as, as we grow and as your programs grow. And I highly recommend anybody just leaning in and starting with a one-on-one, -on -one, which is where I began. Are you still doing new moon and full moon one-on-ones? So I'm actually doing um, self sovereign self-study intensive. So those are three week one-on-one -on -one coaching experiences. And then I'm only offering one tarot offering right now. It's an 11 card reading um, that I cater to the moon cycles, just depending on when you order it. I will like kind of infuse that into it. And then I have um, one off astrology reading. So you can do an highest self reading or a compatibility reading and then own your magic um, on May 1st will be my group program that's launching. So that's the thing that I'm the most excited about right now. I'm really, really yeah. looking forward to it. Cool. And that's what I just finished. So yeah. I definitely believe in just the transformation. And what I love is having all these notes and resources to go back to that it's forever. So to have that yeah. even more on a platform is just yeah. going to be really, really valuable. So thank you so much. To yeah. Thanks, Nikki. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll chat soon. Yeah, we'll chat soon. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Here We Grow. 
It would mean the world to me for you to follow, like, comment, and share this episode with someone you know who would also be inspired. Keep planting seeds and pulling weeds and growing towards the light. <laughs>